Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and today DM Chris and I have a returning guest, a very special guest, none other than author Lou Anders, and he is going to be talking to us all about the Draugr because, boom, guess what? There's a Kickstarter that he is doing for his Thrones and Bones setting, and it's got some amazing 5e content. But rather than even talk about it anymore at all, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. Today for the meat, we have a returning guest, and I am so excited. We have already talked about a bunch of crazy things off air that we're not going to share with you. But today, Lou Anders, you're back. Welcome back. It is so good to be here. Lou is one of my favorite people that we've had on the show. And I was kind of surprised when when Neil, you brought up, we're like, we should have Lou on. He's coming out with, well, we'll let him share what he's coming out with. But like when we talked about it, I was like, how have we not had him on in so long? Because Lou's like, Lou's best. And so we're just yeah. really glad to have it. And the best part is we all came on with some form of Thrones and Bones virtual background through Zoom, which is even funnier. Yeah, which I noted is just fantastic because this is a purely audio medium. So it's just for <laughs> yeah. us and I guess to talk about to you. Um, yeah. But yes, I will even I will go so far as to say that one of the absolute highlights of my San Diego Comic-Con was to see Lou in person. So hopefully we can get to that place once again. But. We'll just skip right over telling us about yourself if our listeners don't know for shame and we'll jump right into is there anything you happen to be working on that you can share with our listeners? I just happen to be working on something I can share with your listeners. That's great. Uh, yes. A tiny little project that I've been working on nearly full time since last March of last year. It hit perfectly then for you to just have something to dedicate your entire quarantine to. Yes. It uh, it didn't it didn't start out that way, but um, I am doing the Thrones and Bones campaign setting, Volume One, Nordengard. It's uh, a campaign setting and adventures set in the world of my Thrones and Bones trilogy. I started with the the, the country of the first book, the Norse the Norse inspired land of Nordengard, and I'm doing a campaign setting for it. And if it works, I'll do more. But it's uh, you know it, it began. Back in March, I thought, well, here's the pandemic. I It's thrown everything for a curve. I'll just, uh, you know, I've always wanted to do, do something in my world. I'll do like a short 30-page booklet that's like one adventure with maybe five pages of setting guide. And I'll do it in March and I'll just put it on drive through RPG as a PDF only. And I'll see if I can even do this thing. And so I started it and I'm uh, at... 188 pages now, but when I get some artwork in, I'm waiting for it's going to kick it over 200 pages. It's 60 something pages of lore, a whole chapter of mechanics and races and classes, an entire system of rune magic that I came up with, a 30 monster bestiary and two starter adventures. Nothing like uh, going six times over the original page thought limit, you know, <laughs> or budget or budget. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> along with going over page limits, budget also. Yes, yeah. I, uh, I, Neil, it, I'm excited for that. Neil, I think you're probably excited for that too. It's something that I, I think I subscribe to, like the updates that you sent out because I see it all the time on Facebook and stuff. So it's like when that, when that drops, 
Uh, you won't have all my money, but you'll have a significant portion of my money going to back that because I've read the books. I love it. You know, it's it's fun. I don't have a cool Thrones and Bones board game yet, but I think you probably included rules on how to play that yeah. in the in the campaign setting. So if you haven't seen the board game that goes along with it that they play in the books, it's awesome. I'm really excited for that. It's going to be awesome, I think. Yeah. So for context, when is the Kickstarter running? I am going to start it in mid to uh, in, in, in early to mid February. I'm looking right now. This is don't hold me to this, but I think I'm going to launch it on because uh, I'm told you have to launch on Tuesdays. <laughs> so I don't know why that is, yeah. but you have to start on a Tuesday. So I think I'm going to start it on Tuesday the 9th and uh, run it into March. And it, uh, I'm getting, you know, the closer it gets, the more nervous I get. So maybe I'll get cold feet and push it back a week. But <laughs> yeah, because especially once it starts going, I'm assuming because all of our listeners are going to go and subscribe to it, there will be stretch goals that will be met, which just means more awesome work that you get to do and stuff. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, you know, one of the things about this is having never done this before, I, I didn't want to go to Kickstarter with it until it was done. Right. So the book is I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish it today and i'm doing a final read through and polish and it will go to the copy editor working with misty Bourne, who's copy who copy edited rhyme of the frost maidens and working yeah. on the scarlet Citadel for cobalt press and she's going to be the copy editor on it and she'll have it the text in her hands tonight or tomorrow so i wanted it to be done so there's no risk so i knew i could do it and then the stretch goals are just for more art uh, there's a ton of art and we're working with with uh, a lot of people who will be familiar with uh, brian Simon that does a lot of work for Cobalt Press, Will O'Brien, Craig J. Spearing. So it's a lot of the same names you see in Cobalt and Paizo. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of it, but I want more. You know, I want yeah. more, more, more. So the stretch goals are almost all going to be for art, except we're looking at doing a companion book of adventures. Uh, the game will come with two, the book will come with two starter adventures for levels one and two. And I want to uh, do stretch goals to have adventures written by other designers. So I'm lining up uh, some some accredited des game designers to come in and do short adventures that we're going to link in a companion book. Uh, to all that the listeners awesome. out there, I want all the stretch goals. So you all should go out and support Lou because artwork is phenomenal in these sorts of things. I want all the stretch goals because I want we want I want to link them into a, a larger story. We're about to hear the hounds of hell bark as the FedEx truck pulls up outside. <laughs> that's a that's. Okay, we'll we'll cover um, and we'll start talking. And thankfully, everything is recorded separately, so I can we can edit out the hounds of hell um, or leave them in. Or, Who knows? Yeah, welcome, they, to, they, um, welcome to quarantine. We're all yeah. <laughs> Hound of hell number two will jump five feet off the ground with a glass front door and and just like a yo-yo up and down. And <laughs> and uh, there's one delivery person that's afraid to come all the way to the house that will just set the package on the steps, you know, and back away as fast as possible. But then another who just stands there and laughs as the dog, this little dog jumps as high as his head. I feel like the hounds of hell need to be like an NPC stretch goal. Yeah. <laughs> dire wolves, dire wolves. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Miniaturized dire wolves. For sure. Yep. Neil, you want to lead us into the content? Uh, I mean, theoretically, we would have a surprise question. <laughs> so if they're, you, they, so sometimes, I, I don't pull a surprise question uh, because I wait too long to think of that. Um, so then I tailor my surprise question to the guest. Knowing all the things that you've written for before, 
Is there an existing intellectual property that you wish you could write for? Interesting. <sighs> That's what we hope for. We hope for that response. Interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I grew up, Batman was my absolute favorite. And I, I have everything Batman. I've got a cabinet downstairs, a glass cabinet of all the Corgi Batmobiles from the from the red roaster he drove in 1939. That's not even a Batmobile to, mm-hmm. I think the last one they hit was the 2000 Batmobile. And then I've bought a couple cents from other collections, but I don't care about Batman. Like I used to care about Batman. So <laughs> DC is kind of ruined. Yeah. Um, Robert Pattinson so, will save it though, Lou. Yeah. Well, so my 12 year old self would kill me. My 10 year old self, if I didn't say Batman. You know, I wish I was part of the High Republic team doing Star Wars right now. That looks really exciting. And uh, I'm, but I'm grateful that I, I got to write what I wrote for Star Wars. Yeah, I love the idea of either one of those, like, because I feel like you don't see the novelizations as much unless I unless they are just totally missing my radar. But I can think when I was a kid, like I have a, a couple X-Men books, like just like a, a novel there's no I, as far as i remember there's no art in it it's just about the there's also one where it's them and the star trek the next generation crew. <laughs> but but that's the point who cares sure oh, yeah. like it's this short read of a book that's utterly insane so why like this one-off so i love it i love your idea you know but i think too it's like i think sometimes the characters that you know so well that are really big it's kind of hard to write for. I, I think I'd almost rather take a character that nobody cares about anymore and then do something new and exciting with it that brings that character back to the forefront. You know, like I'd like a third take on the question or something. Yeah. Uh, something. Yep. My brain's going everywhere. So rather than me keep doing that, thank you, Neil, myself, for that wonderful question. <laughs> and thank you, Lou, for answering it. But today, because this is a raw, real monsters episode, we are going to be talking about something that Lou you made and the Draugr. Draugr yes, Draugr. That's Draugr. right. Because one of the big things about it, I mean, one, we wanted to showcase some of the awesome work that's going to be in the Kickstarter. But my thing about it is that it is a creature that is very important to the story. It's one of the first creatures you meet in the first book. Like, and it sets a lot of the tone. Also, it's a different way to approach undead than rather just mindless shambling sometimes fast sometimes slow but the key is mindless undead that are are coming towards your players so i guess my first question is what are the draugr so the draugr also called after walker as in those who walk after after death what a sweet like nickname for it by the way that's awesome oh isn't it awesome i love the after walker but the apt, apt ganger, apt ganger, after walker. Dude, that's even cooler. You have to call it that now. The entire, the entire rest of the show, you have to call it that. The first adventure in the book is called the apt ganger's challenge, but uh, which you can probably guess what their challenge is. <laughs> I'm assuming thrones and bones. It could just possibly be kind of like, kind of <laughs> like the book, and kind of like the rules that are in the, in the, in the book. But it, um, they were Norse peoples who didn't have the courtesy to stay dead. You know, their greed or their dishonor keeps them trapped to the earth. When you bury somebody, you would put a corpse door on the burial mound to keep them inside, which is just a stone inscribed with runes, the magic of which is supposed to keep the dead from coming back out. But, you know, those things were 
malfunctioning more than the holodecks and driver got out and they're um they're they're fascinating because they 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 almost fill the role that the vampire fills in Europe i mean the more i looked into vampires and that's a totally different podcast but the more i looked into vampires there's not just things a vampire every single culture had their own version of a vampire and it's a continuum and it stretches from just misty spirits that you know drink your soul stuff to vampire what we think of as the bram stoker vampire kind of in the center of that and then the other end of the bell curve i think that's the drought but they they were skeletal or zombie-like but they're highly intelligent they're greedy and malevolent they hate the living for still being living uh in my world they basically in the cosmology of my world which is a little different from norse cosmology the heroes still go to valhalla or sesramir but most people go to neth's cave in netherhella which is under the earth and draugr are people who don't have the honor or the glory to go up with the Valkyria, but they're too greedy to go all the way down. So they don't go all the way down and they stop just under the earth and they stay in their burrows with all of their gold and jewels. And uh, they could do all kinds of crazy things. They could turn into a cat. Some of them could turn into a mist. Some of them assume giant size when they want to, they embiggen. Some of them uh, could transform into either a horse with a broken back, or I think it's a mule with flayed sides, dripping thick blood. I mean, it's oddly specific. Yeah. You go from a cute cat to a mule bleeding out its sides. That's yeah. <laughs> it's actually, I think it's a, let me find it exactly. Cause it's, it's a, it's, a, I'm sorry. It's an ox with flayed skin or a gray horse with a broken back, but it's ears and tail chopped off or a cat. Makes sense. <laughs> Isn't it? And I mean, and so one of the thing, the, the wonderful things about this is when I was trying to, a lot of what I've done is try and take creatures and put them into 5e context and not stay true to what they actually were. Mm-hmm. So you get, you get monsters with a lot of just weird abilities that you go like, maybe this isn't even the best thing from a design standpoint, but it's what they did. So, yeah. you know, it's an ox with a flayed side. Sure. That'll come up. And, and, and if it does, it'll be weird. Well, I think what's cool about that is like so many times, like I'll pull out a new monster and play it against my characters, but like they can pick up on like, Oh, this is a monstrosity. So it has specific characteristics that kind of transfer over from each one, you know, but when you create something that's like true to mythology that nobody's ever studied before, it can throw players for a loop because it has characteristics that they wouldn't typically think about, you know? And so sometimes staying true, I think is actually more helpful to keep your players guessing than what can happen if you've played for a while and you just know how to metagame really well. And, you know, in some of it too, it's, I'm kind of amazed it hasn't been done. I mean, I, I, to to hop monsters for a second, we have a herd of Schleipnar descended from Schleipnir, eight-legged horse. And Schleipnir's been in RPGs before, of course, but I went looking up past versions of Schleipnir. Cobalt Press, and I love Cobalt Press. I've written for them. I think they're fantastic. Everybody should buy all of their stuff. But Schleipnir causes a golden gilded avalanche to fall. And that's cool, but I don't know where it comes from. And in Paizo, Schleipnir shoots a rainbow out of its mouth, which is also cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I get that it's the Bifrost Bridge as a breath weapon. But I don't, you know, but what Schleipner actually did 
was he was called the slippery one because his eight legs let him run on the branches of the world tree so he could slide in and out of the nine realms. So my Schleepnar are super fast horses that um, have the ability to plane shift twice a day. You know, you may you may have to grab one, tame it, try and ride it, go galloping off on it, and then it decides to pop to another plane of existence, buck you off, and pops back without you. That could be fun. Oh, yeah. That is awesome. So one of the biggest things, so for full transparency, I'm looking at the document um, to see exactly how these are written. So we have a lot of context here. But one of the biggest things that I love about it is you can use each Draugr exactly how you want. And I think that's one of the biggest things about adding these either to your world, playing with them in Norengard, or just having a one-off specialized undead is that everything about them can be tailored to what you want it to be how they interact with your players, what abilities they have, what personality they have. Because, uh, I mean, just going back and then to go forward, like contextually, I feel like they're very different states of undeath to choose between the horse with a broken back or I'm a cat. Like the, because even the abilities that come with those forms. So like the cat can do life, life drain. So then you think about a person that was, maybe they were greedy and they were more of a rogue. And now they're choosing that cat form and life training people because they think it's hilarious Um, or they're just mean. Like, so, again, just being able to tailor them to exactly what you need, I think, is the best part about these by far. You know, one thing to that your listeners don't know, but we broke it up. So you've got the minions, which are basically just cannon fodder. And then you've got Draugr Warriors, Draugr Elite, and Draugr Draugr Jarl, the top end. And the abilities are not the same for each category. So you might have, like in the book, three Draugr elite serving a Draugr girl, or you might see a Draugr elite commanding a group of Draugr warriors or a Draugr warrior leading a band of Draugr minions. And it mixes things up. And I think personality has a lot to do with it. You know, there was a, I could see a scenario in which you went to a Draugr for help because while they were greedy and evil, they were also certainly at the top end, the Jarls and the, and the elites, proud Norhanir. You know, they were very, so I could see like, you know, oh my God, this dragon is going to destroy the city. We have to get the Draugr buried outside to help. And he'll be like, yeah, it's my city too. I ruled it with an iron fist for 50 years. You know, <laughs> No dragon's going to take it away from me. And uh, yeah. it, it could be like, you know, those times when like Professor X and Magnigo have to team up against the alien threat. We can go back to fighting yeah. about whether we exterminate all the humans after we save the planet. The thing that I really like about the Draugr is it's almost like the element you were just talking about, about like, oh, they might be buried outside of the city and you have to go and make this, you know, play to them to say, hey, there's this dragon coming to help us don't destroy the city. I almost love the idea of like there being the ability to create scary children's stories about the Draugr, you know, burrow that's out there, you know. That like there's just these there's there's these rule or these these former rulers who like if you go out there if you see the stone if you touch it like he's gonna come to life you know like those those sorts of things where like kids go out and dare each other to like do these things to see if things really could happen you know totally I love that sort of fun stuff that it almost like it could be this tale that uh, somebody overhears in a tavern like if they're completely new to this realm. And they hear the the lore of the the uh, the Jarl's burrow, you know, if that's the story's name or something like that. 
that like a bard is telling from the stage that tells of these unlost or these unfound uh, treasures and the curse that can come with finding the burrow. But, you know, all of these sorts of things I think could be really fun elements to incorporate in the, in the Jorger kind of lore that you could incorporate. And again, they have personality. I mean, one of the things I've been able to do in the, in the RPG is in the book, we only see one city. We see the city of Pinsa, which is a port city. That's the forward facing city for the land. All the trade comes through Pinsa. And I created nine other cities for the RPG and got to really flesh them out. Some of them I, 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 I had notes on I knew about, but I got to really, really, really flesh them out. And the city of Sindholm up north, they have a longship buried right in the middle of the town. And there's a Draugr in it. And he's pleasant for a Draugr. And he doesn't come out. He's named Vatner Snake in the Eye. And at night, you can hear him singing sea shanties <laughs> from inside his burrow. That's and it's so cool. right in the middle of somebody's neighborhood. You know, yeah. you can stumble out of the pub late at night and hear somebody singing and realize it's, oh, my God, it's coming from that mound of earth in the middle of the town. What, me, what might be super haunting to somebody that goes into that town for the first time is just like normal yeah, yeah. Know, ambient noise for the entire town. I'm sure he's done duets with drunks coming out of the meat halls. You know? <laughs> yeah. Depends on what kind of mood he is. He might freak people right. out. Or oh, might... it doesn't mean like you could, if you go into his borrow and try and steal something from it, he's not going to kill you. Right. But, yeah. Right. But he's content where he is. And <laughs> yeah, I I find the the whole burrow aspect of it fascinating because, you know, from what I what I understand from the book, like you can kind of make out that there is a burial ground here, right? But that doesn't mean that the person the the uh, Draugr is awake or active. You know, they might still be, as far as I understand, they could still be asleep in there. You know, there might be a trigger or something that like could be the beginning of a fun adventure. Yeah, the, the, the whole burrow thing, you could create some really cool burrows. You know, does each former Jarl of a city have a burrow, you know? Absolutely. So is there like a burrow, a, a, a burrow graveyard, you know, where like depending on what the city needs, you might be able to go out and awaken a specific Jarl. To, and I'm going to correct, it's borrow, not burrow. Borrow. But, uh, yeah. but they borrow mound, like the borrow whites and Tolkien. There we go. Got it. You got it. But outside the city of Bensa, there's a huge field called the Mounds, which has over a thousand graves in it. And they're all, you know, it's, it's just a field full of lumpy green tufts, each one of which has a dead body in it. In the first adventure, you have to go into the mounds at night and enter into some of these. And uh, I'm working with heroic maps, who've maps I've loved. Oh, yeah. and, they've, and so they've mapped out a whole section where you've got the one map is just the field at night with all the the, the mounds and and ghostly lights coming from one of them. And then a second map, which is all the boroughs underground that have been spoiler connected with new tunnels. <laughs> and, uh, so you do, you go into the mounds and meet quite a few Draugr. That sounds awesome. Yep. Now all I can think of is the sea shanty. I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> I know. I immediately just want to steal that and put that in the, into my game somewhere. Yes. Also, just so we're all aware, uh, super big trend on tiktok which i assume it's probably already gone is sea shanties yep. like i put a sea yeah. shanty and basically you can tick you can basically you can layer your tiktok on someone else's tiktok so then it, it basically becomes this super elaborate in-depth chorus of people singing sea shanties so if you need one from your for your game head on over to tiktok <laughs> um but all of that there's just so many good ideas from 
finding what that what the Draugr needs to be for your campaign. Like I can't focus on that enough because I was thinking the same thing of like they have knowledge. They have past knowledge. And they may have access to if you can either defeat them or convince them to lend it to you. They may have mm-hmm. extremely powerful weapons that you might need. You, they might have a sword of giant slaying or, you know, a sword of Linorm killing. Yeah. You need to take down. Although um and then I wanted them to be able to pivot from humor to horror, you know, on a dime. Yeah. And those are my kinds of monsters. And also, you know, you could even have a situation where a driver was a patron. Oh yeah. That would be fun. Suppose I mean a sufficiently powerful one could be a warlock patron. Yeah. Although um I don't know if you saw the version of the book that included the warlock pact that I added or not. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm looking at it right now. I don't know if it may have gotten added after I sent you guys the the preview copy because it's it's. But I I'll just say I don't want to talk about it too much. But it's warlock pact of the norms. Oh. The the um the other thing I'm really proud of is 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 how I handled the Linorms, the the Norse dragons, because in in Norse mythology, Linorms were originally just giant snakes. They were just giant snakes. And there's a story of like one that was coming to town and eating a cow and the hero digs a hole in the ground and because its hide is really tough and nobody can injure it. And he lays in the mud and they stake a cow out. And when it goes slithering over, he stabs it in the belly and kills it. But then they get bigger and they have a poisonous bite in some stories. They breathe poison. I think Fafnir breathes poison in, in one. But then the Norse start actually paying attention to the people they're raiding in Europe and hearing some of the European stories and partaking more in European culture. And they hear about European dragons and they think, wow, that's pretty cool. So in the later sagas, the Linarms breathe fire, not poison, and they fly, which they didn't do in the earlier sagas. So I'm like, how am I going to reconcile this? Do I make five different types of Linarms? And I'm thinking about it and thinking about it. And it hits me. It's the life cycle from wormling to ancient. Oh. Wormlings start out as just giant snakes with a poison spike. Okay. The young get the ability to breathe that poison, that venom as a poisonous gas. Then the adults develop additional limbs beyond the forelimb. The young develop four limbs. So it's snake with no limbs. Young have four limbs and the ability to breathe poisonous gas. The adults grow wings and additional limbs, possibly. Those that don't move into the sea to become the sea linorms, just the giant water serpents. Those that do, they go on and they become the ancients and they learn how to ignite their gas and breathe fire. That's all. So the reason earlier sagas didn't have them is because they weren't old enough yet. Right, right. Yep. Uh, yeah. You have to live thousands of years. I like that a lot. So I, was, I had a question around the Draugr. Is there like a class system almost that like the the Draugr have in terms of like, is, are they buried with servants? Are there ones that are stronger, more powerful than others? How does that sort of thing work? Like if two, Absolutely. If two Jarls met each other, like is there a way for them to distinguish who's more powerful than the other one? Or how, how does that sort of uh, system work? It's like vampires. You'll, okay. the, the, the highest ranking one is in charge. So again, spoiler. So if you're going to be a player, close your ears. In the first adventure, there's actually an, a Draugr elite that's much, much older than the Draugr Jarl that's behind the first adventure, but is having to be subservient to him anyway because he's outranked. 
And he's not happy about that. Yeah. Is it, is it common in Draugr lore for you? And, and again, this could be anybody can take the, the Draugr and put it into their game how they want. But, I, you know, I kind of envision like it could be fun, kind of fun to uh, stumble upon a borrow. Got to make sure I say that right at least once. And you, you open it and there's like there's not just there's not just a Jarl in there or an elite in there. There's like you've awoken the Jarl and then there's like eight or nine servants that are with it that were its closest companions, you know, that when they died, they were also put in there. You know, if they were all slayed in battle or whatever, that you awaken a borrow and it's not just one that you're awaking. It could be an entire, you know, kingship that you've awoken at that point. Absolutely. And again, cough, cough, spoilers. That's sort of the first adventure where you're going through the complex and working your way toward the head guy. Mm. But it, it, you know, in my in my original book, you had the one Draugr Jarl who was buried, and then there's three smaller mounds outside. Each belonged to his minions, who would be in the game now classified as Draugr elites. And he couldn't leave the Borrow Mound. He couldn't leave the circle of stones around the mound. So they are his minions going out into the world and and working his will, uh, a la Superman. um with lex luther down in the in the subway tunnel sending otis up (laughs) so is that how the 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 draugr work they can't leave oh helltopper in the book was specifically bound because of some magic in that place other ones can leave okay but that doesn't mean there aren't uh, there aren't other draugr who aren't bound right so like the one that you were talking about that lives in his longship he's not necessarily bound there he just doesn't he's leave. just happy there. yeah he's just chilling out yeah he's just fine where he is now that could change yeah so it sounds like there's a lot of like lore specific things around each draugr that you can create like it sounds like you kind of just give a skeleton and say like hey play with it how you want ah uh, oh sorry well done sorry. <laughs> pun intended pun you give it a template intended. you give it a template and say hey here's the lore go for it do what you want i wanted to make sure that i wasn't just info dumping on people mm. you know i didn't want to just be like here's the town it has this population and this is this and this is. that's all in there but i wanted to to bury stories and story hooks and potentials throughout everything totally so, good job both of you skeleton barry just keep let's keep it going yeah. i love it yeah. so in the in the um the one who sings the sea shanties there's a flock of crows that hang out on the mounds and they're called Vatner's oarsmen now are they just crows are they super intelligent crows? Are they his actual oarsmen transformed into crows? You know, I didn't say. So that's there. And and maybe one of the crows goes somewhere and sees something and finds out that there's a way to bring him back to life or give him more power or something. And then he does emerge from his longship, but he's not as nice as he used to be. Mm-hmm. Or for that matter, maybe he needs something. And one of the crows goes and finds a player character and says, you know, Votner has need of you. You must go and slay this troll and bring us back the crown of whatever. Which the crow comes and starts actually talking to you. It was awesome. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yep. And there's a, well, there's another jogger that the, in the book and game. I tell you that, that even though these these people are actually post Viking is not a noun; it's a verb. You go Viking. Mm. And uh, I'm so glad that Assassin's Creed Valhalla got that right. Yeah. But the first time Thor screams, "Let's go a Viking!" I was just like, "Oh, be still, my heart." <laughs> Steady my, um, steady my but, heart. <laughs> so we're kind of in the world's high middle ages and we're at the place where the king of Norengard has made a deal with the neighbors to quit raiding. So they're paying the Noren guild, like the Dane guild. They're paying a ransom not to be raided. But you find out that the city of Umsburg is starting to raid again. You know, it's 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 a uh, they have no one's done anything about it yet. 
That's Umpberg's way away on the West Coast. It's a tiny place. No one goes there. So the king just doesn't want to think about it because technically if they're raiding, he can't get his, his geld anymore. But uh, if you go to Umsburg, you'll find out that the Jarl of Umsburg, Dortloff Scullison, is not the true power of the town. That he has a, an ancestor who's a Draugr who's decided to take an interest in current affairs and is ruling through him. Interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a way you could incorporate Draugr that I did I hadn't even thought about yet. So you go to visit the Jarl, and there's a cat sitting on his throne next to it. And he seems oddly afraid of the cat, or he like looks at the cat before he makes a pronouncement to make sure the cat's okay with it. And and it's because no one knows, but the cat is his, his ancestor. At least he doesn't have a flayed ox next to it. That would be kind of a dead giveaway that something's out of place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> An undead giveaway. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but it's but it's uh, the the the, uh, the ancestor is is uh, Jarek Ragnarhildson. He's, he's the reason for the raids is in actuality, Ragnar Hilson is looking for something called the Cauldron of Rebirth, which is not from this country at all. It's it's Arlish, but it's believed to be in Ungland. And he's he's directing his ancestor to raid Ungland because he wants the Cauldron of Rebirth because it'll bring him back to life. Mm. So that's a whole story right there for somebody. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Just the idea that one of them is just kind of a like a happy drunk in a long ship in the middle of town and the other is like puppeteering like breaking political sanctions on not raiding. That's just, that's my point from the very beginning. It's so good. If I've learned anything today is if I ever, if Lou ever runs a game for me around this, I'm casting detect undead all the time, everywhere I go. <laughs> I trust zero cats. I didn't trust them in my real life. And I don't trust them now in any game that Lou runs. But there's another thing. Y'all, y'all saw the butter cat. They're, they're cute cats too. Neil's gonna walk around, and this character is gonna kick every single cat because they have one hit point. No, I'm just gonna see. There's a there's a draugr yarl just in the middle of the city now. <laughs> <laughs> but I have cute cats. I have the butter cat. No, Neil will kick them too. It's true. Well, yeah. now, yeah, but 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 I also love the idea that you've also immediately planted the seed that it doesn't have to be a cat. It right. could just be a bunch of crows. Mm-hmm. Or anything that you needed to be, if it can, if it can polymorph into that, like you again, you tailor it to what makes sense for you, and then it can polymorph into anything. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like is that the idea that magic is in some way unknowable and mysterious, and it, and not the province of the heroes. So I think it's okay to have some magic that doesn't get explained by mechanic. You know, are the oarsmen his crows or not? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, that, and that's that's the thing. Everything in like there are so many pronouncements that I make in D and D where it's like I don't know what spell this is, but this is what would happen in the story, so we're just gonna go with it. And like that's true for anything. Like you don't have to follow the rules by the book. Like you can create things to fit the story. I think that's that's an important thing to remember. I think that like extremely powerful supernatural beings or gods can bend the rules. They can do it because they can do it right in a way that the characters cannot. Yeah. Or even the, the the minor NPCs, but there's but the gods can lift people out of one page and stick them in another if that's what if that's where they want the story to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, we're coming up on our time, as it were. So we have, as we always like to, a homework section of things that people could go and read, listen to, watch to help us better understand the Draugr. I mean, obviously, the number one thing that you're going to go do is back this amazing Kickstarter. Get it together. Go. Go right now. 
And there'll be a link in the proverbial show notes for that sort of thing. But is there, I, I guess it's more to you, Lou, than probably us. Is there anything that people could consume more media to better understand like the concepts we've talked about? Well, gee, if they read my book, Frostborn, that wouldn't hurt. <laughs> <they have>. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, um, Skyrim and Assassin's Creed Valhalla are fun, are fun introductions to a lot of these ideas. Although there aren't any Draugr in, in Assassin's Creed so far that I found. Yeah, might be a DLC at some point. Who knows? Yep. It, it uh, you know, Norse mythology itself is wonderful. And there are many ways to consume that. We're going to have a group called Table Talk are going to do an actual play podcast with the first two adventures, maybe the first three adventures. And that will probably be the first of those will probably be up before the Kickstarter launches. So I'll let you on the link when it comes. There we go. Anything that can get people to play more games. I mean, Skyrim was going to be mine. I mean, it's the and there's so many like if you're playing it on PC, you can go and get so many mods that like can even emphasize and give you new ways to experience Draugr and so so many cool parts of the North Norse mythology because there's some super creative people out there. Well Skyrim dropped right after I had started writing my book. So I, I the book came first. Some people are like you just read Skyrim play <laughs> Skyrim. No, but the book came at Skyrim came out at the absolute perfect time. And so I would play Skyrim on my lunch breaks and then write at night. And it was it was just magnificent yeah. because they did such you know when I when I a story I tell is that um, I know it's on time. I'll tell it fast. I had I had written the whole book and then got the publishing contract, and I rewarded myself by going to Norway. Oh, sweet! In Norway, I, I was wonderful because we were still doing maps, and I was taking photographs during the day and then going back and sending the photos to Rob Lazaretti, who did my maps, and he's going to do more maps for the Kickstarter as stretch goals. He'll do the region maps, and heroic maps will do the battle maps. They're my awesome. two favorite map makers, so I'm thrilled. And he was able to like look at the reference photos in Norway. That was in Norway, and then draw the map and send it to me, and be like, "Okay, let me take another picture of this mountain and send it to you." But I, um, I got there, and I realized that I had, I thought I was going to have to really redo my descriptive passages because Norway is so unique. And I got there, and I went back to my text and found that I had described Norway really well, mm. and I couldn't figure out why. And that was like, oh, because I'm 80 hours into Skyrim. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I've been walking around in this environment virtually, and it is the same environment. Yeah. And uh, it internalized all that. So I'm a huge believer when I write in finding a game that a lot of the Assassin's Creed games are great for this, that have really, really, you know, they spent a billion dollars building Istanbul or ancient Greece or England or whatever, London here. And I'll go and I'll play the game and walk around in it. And that'll inform my description because I know that they've done the historical research and you internalize it in a way that just reading about it won't do. But the only thing I'd missed is that I, I Norway's covered in red berries in the summertime. Mm. And I had left the red berries out because they're not in Skyrim. And so I put the red berries back in and my editor promptly cut them right back out. <laughs> so there was no need to go to Norway is what I'm saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, come on, come on. To actually see it in person, that was well yeah, worth it. I know. <laughs> I'm joking. It was amazing. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, so one final thing, of course, is where can people go to follow all of the awesome things that you are doing? Well, thank you. Uh, Twitter at Lou Anders. Facebook. I'm on Facebook as both Lou Anders and as Thrones and Bones. Uh, and I'm on Instagram as Lou Anders Author. There we go. And Lou, thank you again for coming, spending some time. And I'll just, I'll be honest, we'll have you back. Yeah. I don't know when, but we'll yeah, do it. Well, thank you. I always enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, it's been good. See you, Lou. 
We just want to thank Lou again for coming on, spending some time with us talking about Draugr and all things awesome undead, a sea shanty singing Draugr. But if you want to tell us how you put one of those in your games, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Of course, you can head over to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review. It really helps us out. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block or head over to Facebook where you can follow us there to catch all of the things that we're putting out. As always. The Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. As always, thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I'm DM Neil. Good night, and good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.